Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Uh, if you listen closely enough in the background, you'll hear the uh, the blowers going outside. Yeah, they're blowing, all right. It's good to know that um, our building always seems to hire the crew right at 4 o'clock to get started on that. Isn't it nice, Adrian? I'm excited about that. Hey, it's the more, it's the afternoon shows. Don't yes. worry about it. It's all good. Get the leaf blower out here. Get the vacuum cleaner on in the 6 o'clock hour. That's no right. problem. That's right. I mean, you know. It's it's a great thing. I mean, that's ultimately... Hang on a second. Let me see if I can crank this up. All right. That's uh, that's as good as I could get. Sounds like a really bad printer, like a broken printer or something. It does. It's okay, though. I mean, hey, you know what? Uh, that's It's part of the... It's the mystique of sports talk is that we have... Background background noises. You just never know what you're going to hear during the program, right? That's that's what it's all about. Hey, radio stations aren't supposed to be soundproof, right? So uh, I guess not. I guess uh, well, we, we are we... soundproof, but I mean, the room is soundproof, but not like the building. I see know? what you're saying. We still take in some sound on the outside. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Hey, I'm just. Um, uh, we got a good show today, by the way. We have a lot to talk about. Um, great guests are going to be joining us today on the program, and we're going to get the opportunity to talk um, basketball today. It's like a basketball-dominated show. Dave DeFore is going to be with us, who not only works for The Athletic, but uh, he's a guy that's going to talk a little hoops. And then we've got uh, Kurt Heelan from uh, Pro Basketball Talk uh, in our 5 o'clock hour. So, yeah, we got a lot. We got some hoops on the show today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Steve, there's a lot going on in, M- in the NBA, uh, especially today. We're talking about the NBA draft lottery tonight, which will be taking place. We're also talking about uh, East Finals Game 1 in the Eastern Conference, of course. The Heat hosting the Celtics. No Al Horford, no Marcus Smart. Still a great series to talk about. And Dave Dufour, he he knows uh, Dallas like the back of his hand. He, he's, in the, he's in the area out there. There in the Metroplex, so he could give us a little, uh, you know, a little feedback on Luka Dantich and what he was able to do Sunday. See, I was wondering how Dave knew so much uh, about, uh, you know, the Mavs because. Uh, it says here he's based out of Long Beach, so that's not correct. Well, maybe he moved. I, I guess that's out of. Uh, We're gonna find out, yeah, don't we? Let's let's find out because last year I think he was out of Dallas, so maybe he moved. I like the fact that Dave DeFore moved, uh, and, and now he's, you know. By the way. Uh, <laughs> Al Horford and Marcus Smart are both out. How is Boston going to beat Miami with that? Yeah, it's going to have to be just J- the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown show. Not enough. Uh, not enough. You're right. So if you're talking about the role players, it's going to be Derek White, who's going to have to step up for Boston. They're going to need another big game from uh, Peyton Pritchard. And I don't know, maybe Boston's a little gassed after that whole uh, Milwaukee series. I know you should, you know, after a 48-hour turnaround, you should be well-rested. Uh, but going to South Beach like this, without Al Horford, without Marcus Smart. It's going to be an uphill battle for the Celtics. I know it is. You're 100% right. 100% right. So anyway, that's all coming up here on the program today. By the way, I'm finishing up a story on the website. Hopefully I have it done by tonight. Um, the downtown arena is dead, and it's not coming back. And I hate to, like, I don't, you know, it's bad. I mean, we've got two good guests today, and we're not going to be talking about, like, you know, this is this is the kind of discussion I probably should have saved for a day when we can just spend an hour on it. But look, they're hiring a San Francisco-based firm for a feasibility study. They're giving them eight hundred thousand dollars. I could have saved the city eight hundred grand and told them that there is no way, no way, a downtown arena gets built in El Paso. It's just not going to happen anymore. Too expensive. This is not twenty twelve. This is twenty twenty two. And it was expensive before COVID. It's even worse now. So I think we just have to get out of our minds that there will ever be a new downtown arena unless it, be, it gets built with privately funded money, which I don't ever think is going to happen. I just don't. So I think that, you know, here's my, I've been saying this for years, and I'll say it again. Renovate the Haskins Center. Uh, and the only chance that this multi-purpose performing arts at convention center has is to just give the El Paso Convention Center a facelift and essentially rebuild it, tear it down, put the whole $180 million on that, 
and make El Paso uh, a city that can have some of the biggest conventions in the country. That's your that's going to be your number one bet. Because truth be told, there is absolutely no way on earth that they can put a downtown arena for the money that they proved and make it uh, anywhere even close to the kind of facility El Paso wins expect. So let's just get it. I mean, the, 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 fe- the feasibility study is going to be done in January of next year. And I'm just telling you, it's not happening. It's not happening. And I know some people out there think Max Grossman is why it's not happening. Because he fought for Duranguito and cost the city millions and years and, and they wouldn't break ground. I get all that. Believe it or not, what I'm about to tell you, you might you might say there's no way, but it's true. Grossman might have saved this city hundreds of millions of dollars without even without even realizing it, because truth be told, they were never putting anything in that arena to make enough money to to keep that thing going without you know just losing a ton. All right, so ultimately, I know the idea was new arena, new uh, stadium. Well, they got the stadium, and with that came the AAA baseball team, all right? And if you're telling me, you know, if you're able to put in, what? What are the average, about five, 6000 a game for the Chihuahuas for ah, the most part? Generously. Generously? generously? Yeah. For AAA baseball, that is a step below the big leagues? How many thousand people do you think they're going to put in for a G League or a minor league oh, hockey team? No, no way. Nothing. Nothing. And they're not going to have UTEP games there because UTEP is they want to they want to run their facility. They don't want to just lease out something with the city. So that was never going to happen in the first place. Maybe they would have a couple of marquee games a year, like New Mexico State and the tournament. The 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 Don Haskins Sumble Invitation would be there, but that would be about it. And if you're lucky to get an NCAA regional, that's once every three four years, not every year. So trust me on this. Grossman might have done El Paso a favor with all this whole stuff. Saved them, saved them a, zillia, a ton of cash. And ultimately, what will happen? They'll redo the, the convention center, which they probably should have done in the first place, and, uh, and, and do it right. Look, we are almost 10 years after the quality of life bond issue passed. I can't believe that. I spoke on that issue. I went up in front of city council in 2012 and talked about how important it was to get this thing built. And they built it. At least they built one of them. I mean, they built the uh, they they built the one that they needed because ultimately, you know, if you had to ask me what's more important to an arena or a ballpark, I'll take the ballpark. Ballpark came with the AAA team. Arena would have come with no guarantees, nothing. So, and you want to know something? The Haskins Center. Although I would love to see them redo it, take out three, four thousand seats, and put in some suites and club access and skybox. It's fine. It's held up. It really has. I mean, I go into that building. Every time I go into that building, it amazes me. That thing was built in 76, and it has had very few, very few renovations to the inside of that, uh, inside of that arena. And it still holds up. Now, it's not what they're building in Austin, but UTEP doesn't have UT dollars, and they don't have boosters that can give up the kind of money that they're doing for Moody uh, for the for the was it Moody Coliseum? Yeah, Moody Center or Moody right. Center. They can't do that. It's not happening here. It's not Austin. But you know what? Haskins Center's fine, and not only that. Whoever had the brilliant idea to put a fifteen to twenty thousand seat arena in El Paso, you can't even put more than four thousand in the Haskins Center. How are you going to get twenty thousand or fifteen thousand in this other new arena? So as far as I'm concerned, it's dead. And fine, so be it. I'm sick and tired of talking about it all these years. And you know what? We should have just come to grips years ago with the harsh realization it wasn't going to happen. That's it. And nowadays, considering the the price tag on these new facilities, well, you know, they thought that putting the multi-purpose performing arts and entertainment center tag was the easiest way to get it through. They had no idea, none, that it would turn into this. But all things happen for a reason, folks. And maybe, just maybe, years and years of delay 
and, you know, court costs and lawyer's fees. Maybe it's a benefit. Maybe it's better to spend a couple million on that than losing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in the long run over a a failed project that never got going the way it was supposed to. Take a look at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. Did that ever bring an NFL team like they believed when they put that thing down there and built it? No way. No, it didn't. Now, from time to time, it holds big concerts, and sure, it has opportunities to put the UTSA Roadrunners in there when they're playing football games. But Final four. Final, that's true. How many times does, there, does that, San Antonio get the Final Four? I think it's only gotten it once. Or twice, maybe? Maybe twice, yeah. Not exactly like they get it every couple of years. So, And it's a one-off, all right? So I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I think we should just completely put the, uh, the whole concept of this, this downtown arena to bed once and for all. End it. Don't bring it back. Let it go, folks. Let it go. For me, Steve, where the conversation ends, you just look across the state of Texas and you see all the stadiums that are being built for high school athletics. I'll just give you a quick one, quick example. Back in November, Tomball ISD Stadium right outside of Houston, they opened up a, a stadium that cost them $42 million. High school. High school. So 42. We're talking about uh, tens of millions of dollars at the high school level for stadiums, and we're thinking about a you know couple couple million here in El Paso to build a facility or build a stadium. No way. That's not happening. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. Just look over to East Texas. That's your prime example. And once again, I, I know that you know people wanted it big, but nobody's building big anymore. They're all building small now. They're all building small. It's hard to fill seats nowadays after the pandemic. I mean, really, it, it's something that we've seen. People are watching sports totally different na- differently nowadays, and maybe they're not watching it in person, but they're watching it via stream, and for some people that makes sense to them, and, and they prefer it that way. Yep, absolutely. And by the way, the architect who built the Moody Center is who's contracting out the feasibility study with El Paso, okay? And currently... The estimate for the Moody Center is now approaching $400 million. And they broke ground on it about four months before COVID. Okay? So they broke ground in December of 2019, dealt with COVID. Now it's going over $400 million. It's probably going to be closer to four fifty dollars or five when it's all said and done. So you can't, you can't look at it like you, like you thought. And that's $400 million for just 15,000 seats. It's not like we're talking about a, a massive 30,000 arena, indoor arena. No, 15,000 concert goers can go there. And more. And, and, and almost, honestly, what it says on their website, it's probably closer to a 10,000 cap, uh, capacity space when you're taking away the floor seating. Yeah, yeah, which is great for Austin because now you have you, you 5,000 or so on the floor, but you can ultimately have 10,000 with all the luxury boxes and, and suites and everything else. And look at all the dollars in Austin, by the way. Look at all the money. Look at all the, look at all the Longhorn dollars you've It's got. easy for them. It is very easy, 100%. They're printing money over there, printing they, it. They got a blank check. Yeah, exactly right. All right, anyway, uh, so that's how we're going to start the show. So hopefully, let's just, and I'll put this up on the website uh, later today or tonight. Let's just end the, the, the talk. Let's seriously, let's just, put, let's just put it to bed once and for all. Because I don't think when Gensler is done with this $800,000 feasibility study that they'll conduct over the next eight or nine months, that, or six or seven months, whatever it is, that they're going to tell the city of El Paso that, yes, a new downtown arena can be supported and funded and done properly, especially with the money they have they, they have allotted. Even if you doubled the money that you allotted, it wouldn't be enough. Think about that. Put that into perspective. And if they put this to a vote now, do you really think El Pasoans would vote yes again on, a, on an arena? It'd take a lot of convincing, which I don't think is, is realistic. I don't either. Unless you want to move an NBA team in here. Uh, it's going to be really difficult. That's for sure. 16 past. Good to have you on our Tuesday edition of Sports Talk. We've got a lot to cover on the show. Let's get right to it. Uh, We'll go Dave DeFore next, right after Charlie One, who has our first traffic update of the afternoon. Back here on Sports Talk 21 past the hour. You can tweet the show, 600 ESPN El Paso. Chris Banks just tweeted us. I'll be honest. 
The Moody Center is nice, but not what I thought it would be. Plus, the food costs are ridiculous. Shaq's Big Chicken Restaurant costs 30 bucks for a sandwich combo, 10 to $15 for a beer. I'll still take the Haskins Center. It's a good point. Good point. Sometimes with new, uh, new arenas come ridiculous prices, Adrian. And Chris Banks, who lives out in Austin, knows uh, what the Moody Center is like. And, uh, yeah, I-, I don't think that that is something that a lot of people would, 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 would really like around here. No, they're appreciative of the Haskins Center, but they might head over to the Moody Center if uh, they end up watching that Texas-UTEP basketball opener next uh, They might, next and then they fall. can all report on that firsthand, right? Dave DeFore joins us live as we continue at 22 past the hour. He is a host and producer for The Athletic. Uh, he is an NBA specialist. That's why his Twitter handle is Dave DeFore NBA. So it's at Dave DeFore NBA. Hey, Dave, welcome back to uh, Sports Talk here in El Paso. Good to have you on, and uh, we got a lot of good stuff going, right? Four teams left in the NBA, plus the old uh, draft lottery is coming up. So should be a pretty good week for uh, NBA fans. Hang on one second, Dave. Let me let me pat you up. There we go. Now I got you. All right, Dave, go right ahead. There we go. Yeah, pretty eventful uh, week if everything goes according to plan. Although right now we just got news that Marcus Smart and Al Horford are out for game one tonight. So a, a playoffs that has already been up in the air just got even more up in the air because I think Boston was probably everybody's favorite. So, yeah, crazy week. Yeah, it is. And by the way, how do the Celtics win without those two, considering they've been so uh, so valuable to that team? It's going to be tough, but the other news that just came out is that Robert Williams is expected to be a full participant in the game. They're saying that he has no limitations and that his knee has been feeling pretty good, which is important because they need him as much as they need Horford and Marcus Smart to win this series. A lot of the credit that Marcus Smart got for Defensive Player of the Year, he earned. But a lot of it should go to Robert Williams because that guy was instrumental in that defense being so excellent. So I think that you know it's a big, pretty big deal that, that he's going to be able to go and maybe he can make up for the absence of Horford, uh, but they're really going to miss Horford. Yeah, that's, there's no doubt about it. And um, you know, knowing that I guess uh, Horford is what uh, COVID related, smarts the foot injury. So you got to you would hope that uh, Horford could come back sooner, but you never know. Whenever you hear the word health and safety protocols, uh, that can mean a lot of things, right? Right. I mean, we don't know if he's symptomatic. We don't know if he's even positive necessarily. This could just be a close contact or something. I mean, my my guess is he's sick somehow and has tested. So. It could be that he's back for game three, maybe. Uh, but it, of course, depends on the guidelines and his symptoms. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a chance that he might not be available till like, game five. I mean, this, this completely swings the momentum of the series. And I think if you had Celtics in six or seven, you're probably leaning Miami in six or seven now. You are. And, by the way, Williams put up numbers that are actually better than Horford's I think the only and, and they're really the same size so you know you you want to have two of them instead of one but who's to say that Williams can't step up and and give you 15 or 16 and 10 rather than uh, you know than 10 and 10 like he did during the regular season well yeah and look Boston's not a very deep team as it is and losing two guys that are starters is going to be huge that means a lot more Peyton Pritchard that means even more Grant Williams you know, maybe Grant even starts in this game. I'm not sure, but man, they are looking pretty thin. I, I'm. It's not looking great for Boston in Game One. And I hate to say that because they were probably my pick to win the title. This just changes so much for them. And when you look at Miami, the first thing you think about is how deep they are. That's the first thing that really jumps to mind for me. They've got, you know, eight or nine guys that are all capable of uh, of coming out and, and, and stepping up and playing great behind Jimmy Butler. And that's the one thing they've built. They've just built such a deep basketball team that's filled with experience and ready for this postseason run. Yeah, and listen, they've got Eric Spolstra, which is – I mean, that's the best coach in the league. And, and he has done such an amazing job of keeping that team together through COVID, through injuries, through just, you know, everything imaginable. Now, they don't have Kyle Lowry, but Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, all these guys that have come up off the bench and off the scrappy, really, for Miami and have performed so well all year have been great during the playoffs. Now, I don't think Miami's really been tested 
I think maybe they had those two games against Philly at the end of that series that you could call a real test. But other than that, they haven't really had to play a full-strength opponent. And you can even argue that Embiid wasn't full-strength. And we're still not going to see him tested until maybe Boston winds up healthy. So I don't know how much I trust them. I know that their their weaknesses are glaring. Their half-court offense is not good. They don't have shooting. But with that sort of defense and Boston already missing guys, listen, I think Miami could even win this in five if these guys can't get back. Miami's defense is that good. Dave, when you're talking about some of the role players for Miami, I mean, we mentioned role players for the Celtics like Grant Williams. You know, you could even look at guys like Derek White. But on Miami's side, who are you looking to to stand out for them as far as their role players? Well, I think Max Struess is going to be huge for them in this series, right? They need his shooting, but the the beauty of Max Struess is that his defense and his activity, even when he catches the ball, allows him to stay on the court in ways that Duncan Robinson just can't. And and it it doesn't hurt that Duncan Robinson has lost all his confidence in his shot. But I think it's going to be a big series for Max Struess. I mean, this is, you know, again, the role player, guys. I think it's a Jimmy Butler series. It's a Bam Adebayo series. Uh, But if your role players like Max Struess can step up and knock down shots when they're available, because it's the playoffs, and Boston is going to make Max Struess hit shots to beat him. If he can step up and if he can hit those shots, I think that could be the swing in the series for Miami. Well, you talked about Adebayo. You know, they've got so many vets on this team, too. They've got Victor Oladipo. You've had P.J. Tucker as well, who's got a ton of years behind him. Lowry's got a hamstring. I mean, do you think that this is something that will slow him the entire series? Because a hammy is such a difficult injury to try and figure out how you can come back. Or do you think you, we might end up seeing um, you know Lowry return either games two or three? Well, it seems like this hamstring is a little bit worse than the Devin Booker hamstring injury. And, I mean, we saw Kyle Lowry try to come back against Philly. He struggled. He did not look himself. And then he had to leave the game multiple times, and then he was out. And so, uh, given all of that, I don't know if we see him in this series. They may already, especially with these injuries, depending on how games one and two go for them, they may already be thinking about, hey, we want Kyle available for the finals, which, again – I understand like, that that kind of messes with our competitive sen- sentimentality, you know, where it's like this guy is a warrior. He wants to be out there. He should be playing. But Miami has the luxury here because the Celtics are going to be so shorthanded and they've played relatively well without Kyle on the floor. So I don't know if we should expect him back soon. I think it's going to really be game by game, and it's going to be dictated by how Miami plays without him. We're talking to Dave DeFore. He's a host and producer from The Athletic uh, here on Sports Talk. And, again, you can follow him on Twitter at Dave DeFore NBA. Um, if you are the NBA, uh, this is the question I used to love to ask guests during the David Stern era. Maybe it's a little different now when you're dealing with Adam Silver. But who do you think the NBA wants to get out of this series and go in the finals as far as ratings? Oh, man. I mean, I would imagine Boston, you know. Um, it's it's a market that's a little bigger. It's a basketball market. It's a prestige NBA name and brand. You know, the Boston Celtics is big business for the NBA. Um, it's a stalwart of the league, and I think them coming out of it makes a lot of sense. Also, man, uh, how do the Heat do in ratings? I, I I would guess Boston probably does better. So if I'm the NBA, that's, that's who I want. I just don't know that you can really look – uh, affect it that much. I mean, I, I guess we can all hope that, that these guys, you know, Horford clears health and safety protocols and Marcus Smart bounces back quickly and we can get a series out of it. But if those guys aren't back, the NBA is definitely not going to get what it wants. It's a great point. Uh, more with Dave as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's send it back to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. He's the host and producer uh, with The Athletic. Uh, We just talked about the Boston-Miami series tomorrow night. Things get underway with the uh, uh, Dallas-Golden State series. Warriors have home court advantage in this one. Mavericks coming off that emotional Game 7 win over the Suns. Warriors were able to get uh, their uh, series win over Memphis. Um, This is such an interesting series because of the star power between uh, Luka and Steph and and both teams uh, surrounding them, although the Warriors are filled with battle-tested vets that have been there so many times before. You just wonder if Father 
father. Time is starting to catch up with them versus a young 23-year-old Luka who's not even in the prime of his career yet and taking Dallas into the Western Conference Finals. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, this is a series that really does come down to Luka versus Steph Curry. And not to totally simplify it like that, but it, that's the story of it. Both of these teams are going to hunt mismatches. Now, if you're, if you're Dallas, you're going to get Luka, and you're going to try to get him on Jordan Poole, maybe Steph Curry, although Steph Curry's defense has been excellent all season long. I mean, this guy is an above-average defender, and I don't know if I want to go into that mismatch because he's going to fight. Now, I think on the other hand, for the Warriors, they're going to have to get away from their system, and they're going to have to do the same thing, and they're going to have to hunt the mismatch with Steph Curry. So I do think this is one of those rare instances where I will admit the stars actually are the focal point of the entire series. And it's kind of cool because this is a bit of a passing of the torch. You mentioned maybe the Warriors are getting old and Luca is this young guy who's coming in to take the league over. I mean, who's going to stop him? I don't know who they've got. They can shut him down. I mean, we just watched him back down DeAndre Ayton like he was, uh, you know, Muggsy Bogues. I, I'm not sure how anybody's going to stop Luca. They're going to have to stop everybody else, though. They lost the only their way fir- the Warriors win. Exactly right, Dave. Now, they lost their first two games against the Suns in that series before coming back and winning four of the next five. And when they lost those first two games, we kept saying, Luka needs some help. He can't do it all himself. He's got to find guys that can step up around him. And you wonder, against a team like Golden State, you said it best. If they give Luka's points, but they shut down everybody else, is that the formula to try and, uh, and, and move on to the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, Luka has already hit that LeBron level where it's like he is going to get his no matter what. You cannot shut that down. Now, what you need to do if you're the Warriors, is you, you need to keep him to below five assists. Because if he gets to 10 or 11, that's a loss for you. That's just how it works. Because if he's getting two feet into the paint, you're, he's collapsing the defense, his shooters are open, and Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock have been liquid-hot magma from three, Maxi Kleba shot 19% from three after uh, the trade deadline, and now all of a sudden he's just shooting 50% in the playoffs from three. So they are super hot from three, and if Luka gets into the paint, it's wide-open jump shots all day long, and these guys are canning them. The other thing that happens is that actually opens up actions for Jalen Brunson because when Luka draws all that defensive attention, now Jalen Brunson – can catch an attack into the lane where he's also deadly and can find shooters. And this is what we saw those last couple games against Phoenix. And then on the other end, defensively, they just really went to work hard. And, and the scouting report was fantastic. They made adjustments through the series. Jason Kidd really coached his tail off in the playoffs. When we're talking about the Warriors and some of the players that we might see down the line, maybe the Warriors get Gary Payton the second, maybe they get Otto, Otto Porter Jr. back in game one of this series. How Are these guys any kind of difference makers if they come off the bench and help out the Warriors? I mean, absolutely. Gary Payton the second might be the best defender in the league uh, as far as a guy who can guard ones, point of attack guys, point, uh, point guards. He could completely neutralize Jalen Brunson by himself. And as a help defender, he's one of the best helpers in the league. So he could help on Luka. He'd be the guy that you would want trapping Luka because of his crazy athleticism and and incredible instincts. Otto Porter Jr. might be the most important Warriors role player so far in the playoffs. Think about his defense and how he stepped up when they've had guys who were struggling. He's hit threes for them. He was able to close games when Jordan Poole just kind of lost his confidence or whatever was happening there. Maybe he was too big of a target on defense. Otto Porter has filled in huge, huge boots for this team. Andre Iguodala's been out. Otto Porter has made it so they haven't missed him at all. So I think if he can come back and be healthy, that's a huge addition to the Warriors. Dave, you expect uh, which, which, which version of Draymond Green are we going to get in this series? Oh, I think you're going to get the full-on Draymond experience. I mean, I, look, we, he was sloppy against Memphis, and I think that's just because he didn't take them seriously because he wasn't sloppy against Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is one of the three or four best players in the world, and Draymond Green treated him accordingly. I think we're going to see the same thing with Luka Doncic. This, this is two teams that are highly emotional. They're tough, and they like to fight. 
And I don't mean fight like as in fist fight. I mean fight on the basketball court. So I expect this to be physical. And I think it's going to be fun. I, I think we're going to get some good trash talk out of this. But at the end of the day, the guys on the Warriors know who they're about to go up against. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to treat them like one of the best players in the world, which he is. I'm also interested to see if Andrew Wiggins is as consistent in this series as he's capable of. Sometimes you'll see a guy that looks the part, looks like he is just ready to to get in there and dominate, and other times he disappears, doesn't play a lot of minutes, doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. So if I'm Dallas, I almost want to make sure I try to make Andrew Wiggins a non-factor because sometimes when he's out of it, you can really capitalize. Yeah, but I think that in this playoffs, he's been their most consistent player. I mean, I think when you look across the board, his stats have been very similar game to game. He has played excellent defense for them all year long, but in particular in the playoffs. And I think his activity as a rebounder has been commendable because this is one of the big knocks on Andrew Wiggins is that that lack of second effort, that lack of, oh, I want to go in and fight for the ball. And I think we've seen that in the playoffs. And Maybe this guy is a little bit of a different player in the playoffs. I think his intensity's kind of turned up a little bit. He doesn't show it, right? Like, he doesn't give us the emotion like a Draymond Green does. But I think if you watch him play and you just isolate on him, you can see there's a little bit more fire behind that. So, Andrew Wiggins is oddly one of the guys on the Warriors that I'm not worried about. I think I'm more worried about Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, and to a certain degree, Steph Curry, because he just hasn't been Steph in the playoffs yet. So, I mean, Andrew Wiggins to me is a, you put that in the, I know what I'm going to get category. Interesting. All right, Dave DeFore uh, with us right now, host and producer from The Athletic as we continue NBA Draft Lottery tonight. Uh, does this get you excited in any way, shape, or form? No. <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, listen, man, I don't like celebrating losers. Uh, why are we, like, why, why give it the picks to the teams that are bad? I understand, like, the dynamics behind it, but I don't know, man. Like, uh, just do the lottery balls and get it over with. I don't even. I don't need to see all this pomp and circumstances. Just tell me when the teams are going to draft, and I'm good with that. Fair enough. Uh, final question, and that is what Sham Sharania uh, broke uh, just a little while ago, that the NBA is looking into some kind of an in-season tournament that will begin as soon as the 23-24 season. Now, we already know about the play-in tournament. I- I'm just trying to figure out what they could do with an in-season tournament uh, during the year. Um, I mean, this is going to be something that they hope can generate some revenue. I I think when you look at how well the play-in has worked and you see just how special single elimination basketball is and that the NBA is missing out on that March Madness sort of feel, they got some of that magic. I think that what they want is more of that magic. I think the TV partners probably, well, at least the NBA, sees the dollar signs in the eyes of their TV partners if they can capture some of that magic of an in-season sort of tournament. I just don't know if fans are going to care. I think that this is one of the ways in which the NBA is actually looking to attract casual fans, and I think that this is a step in the right direction. They have gone way too niche and hardcore in so much of what they do that this, to me, the mid-season tournament is a great way to capture new eyeballs. The other value to this is, ostensibly it's going to cut down the regular season. So the regular season and each game is going to have more valuable. Whereas you have 82 games now, if you cut it down to 72, I mean, that's quite a significant increase in value to each game. Uh, something like, uh, like 6% or something. So when you, when you can do that for each game that you now are packaging to sell the TV companies and hoping to attract fans to, I think that's the side benefit of, of one of these tournaments. The format, I'm not sure how you do it. I, maybe you go World Cup style and you, you, know, you have a group stage and then you do a single elimination knockout tournament or something like that. Um, that could be fun, but you know, you're going to have to come up with a way to, to have some stakes, maybe a trophy, uh, some sort of bragging rights. But uh, NBA is so averse to already having guys playing games. I mean, think about load management and, and how it's just ubiquitous with the league. I mean, we don't talk about that in other sports. And so I wonder if you're going to get the teams to actually cooperate with something like this, where it's games that don't really matter toward the ultimate goal, which is the Larry O'Brien trophy. So if they can come up with a solution to that, man, I think you've got something there because single elimination basketball is basketball at its purest form.
You that's know what? what we want. That's what we need. I just thought about something, Dave. You, you might be on to something. What if the NBA can find a way to uh, improve your draft lottery position in this in-season tournament? Now, that's something that I've heard kind of thrown around. But again, though, now you're thinking about the organization versus the players, right? So you need, a, you need incentives for the players. I don't necessarily like I don't really like having a draft decided by a lottery amongst the losing teams. I actually would just do a random lottery with all the teams in there. And if the best team in the league gets the number one pick, hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Maybe you do something like the wheel that I know Zach Lowe is a big proponent of, where you you work it out so that you can't have the same team getting the top picks all the time. I'm not sure. Uh, But I don't know if I want to tie it to to games because it's it's sort of like saying, all right, we'll give the number one pick to – you know, the team that comes in eighth in the East, well, the players don't care, so you're not going to be able to get that goal accomplished if you're the organization. That's a good point. Follow Dave on Twitter at DaveDeforeNBA. That's at DaveDeforeNBA, and check out his work uh, at The Athletic with the uh, host and producing roles. You are a busy man, which is why I appreciate you taking time out and uh, joining us on the show today, Dave. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll come back with plenty more. Fours across the board. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Wrap up hour one of two here on Sports Talk. Chihuahuas in Oklahoma City coming up in about an hour. Hags will be joining us. You know what's coming up next? I think I do. Are you good? I'm ready. Folks, we don't rehearse this, by the way. As you could tell. I didn't even ask Adrian if he watched the movie last night until right now. Like, I had no idea. You know, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But he knows how serious we take this segment. He knows what it's about. So what are you going to be reviewing for us today, Adrian? A very, very good movie, Steve. Bang the drum slowly. Oh, there you go. A classic with De Niro. boy. Exactly. Steve, this one, you know, I've been on a bad streak with sports movies lately. Like, some of these I I just don't enjoy. Yeah, everybody's all American. You thought was a pile of crap. (laughs) I get it. Uh, I loved this one. PG, it's rated PG. It was, uh, it, it actually debuted in 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was rated 92% by Rotten Tomato, 80% by Metacritic, and IMDb gave it 7 out of 10 uh, in their rating. So uh, this, uh, oh, by the way, when I was researching the poster, yeah. you should check this one out. This poster, I want to actually like get this poster for my office because the movie poster for Bang the Drum Slowly is like a 2022 poster. Like it. It's it's like a new age poster. That's cool. It's so cool. Nice. So where'd you watch it, by the way? Oh, it was on YouTube. It was okay. on YouTube TV. So uh, I watched it there. Um, Henry is a pitcher. He is holding out on his contract because uh, he thinks he deserves more money. I, I love the fact that we can relate this uh, back to 2022 with contract holdouts. And then he's also an insurance salesman, which like blew my mind. Like the, these athletes back in the day would have like these side jobs as well and do other things to make money. His best friend on the team is. Bruce, who's dumb and silly. That's Robert De Niro, obviously. A catcher. Yes, uh, his catcher. So he's the pit. So Henry's the pitcher. Uh, Bruce is the catcher, and they make a good pair on the New York team. Uh, the Mammoths is, is their team, and it's a fictitious team. But Bruce is, ends up becoming terminally sick. He gets some kind of form of cancer. Uh, his long dream was to drive to Georgia and show Henry his, his uh, backyard and his, his hometown. So they make a cross country trip, and it, 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 this is where the movie really. Uh, started to skyrocket for me. He burned all of his baseball memorabilia because he knew he was going to die. Like, can you imagine that? Like that right there just struck a chord. I was like, wow, like this is real. So the owners of the team wanted to actually cut Bruce for a, for a young prospect. And they wanted this young prospect. Uh, Henry goes back to the owners and says, wait, 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 on my contract holdout, I'm back with the group. As long as Bruce is on the team, we're a package deal. If I'm sent to the minors, he's sent to the minors. We're both pitch. You know, he's my catcher. I'm the pitcher. But then Bruce is not around as much, and he, you know, he's kind of sick, and he comes in, and then people are wondering what's going on. So at, they they were they choose to uh, disclose the cancer and the diagnosis mm-hmm. behind closed doors. And then he accidentally lets it slip. So he lets mm-hmm. the, he lets his cancer diagnosis slip. They get they go all the way to the World Series. Unfortunately, Bruce has to go back home, and they win it. Uh, Bruce ends up dying. 
and uh, that's how it that ha- that's how it ends. They win the World Series. It's a great bittersweet. story. Bittersweet, Bitter, bit, very yeah. bittersweet. And he honors. I mean, Henry honors him throughout the rest of the film. So great movie. Loved it. This one gets nine out of ten bananas. Oh, solid review from you. I like best that. sports movie I've watched on this on this list. Good, even better than Raging Bull. No, no, I got no, ten no. out of that's ten true. bananas. I forgot about that. How about that? Two De Niro movies, two of your favorites. Wow. Hey, there you go. You're right. We'll come back. Kurt Heelan will begin hour number two. Sports talk continues. Six hundred ESPN El Paso. Hour number two is underway as we continue here on Sports Talk. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We jump back out to our 600 ESPN El Paso hotline and welcome back a, a familiar voice uh, to the show. He's Kurt Heelan uh, from uh, Pro Basketball Talk through the NBC Sports Network. In fact, if you go to NBCSports.com uh, slash NBA, you can get a chance to see all the great content that Kurt, uh, Dan Feldman, and the team uh, at uh, Pro Basketball Talk have. As, uh, for you, not to mention podcasts as well. Hey, listen, it's great to have you back on the show here, Kurt. And, and uh, let me start off by asking you about the Eastern and Western uh, finals now that they're set. Are these four teams the teams that you expected to be here when the NBA playoffs uh, began? Not completely. I, I was pretty high on Boston, and the way I, I thought it would be, look, Boston and Milwaukee felt like a toss-up to me in the series pretty much ended up being that, right? Like seven games played at a higher level than any of the other series. Um, but the one that really shocked me is I, I didn't think Phoenix would – I thought Phoenix would be here. I thought Phoenix was the team to beat in the West, and I not only didn't see them losing, I didn't see them losing in the kind of, kind of embarrassing, shocking fashion that it happened in Game 7. We could say the same thing about Milwaukee, right? I mean, those were series that, that, that really shaped up to be a, what we hoped would be a classic seventh game, and they, they, they both got out of hand so badly, it just kind of made you scratch your head and wonder, if you're truly a championship team, how do you lay such an egg in, in a game where your season's on the line? I'm a little more forgiving of the Bucks uh, for two reasons. A, they, they don't have Chris Middleton. I think this is a different series if their second-best player you know, an all-star and an Olympian is on the floor. The other part of that was credit Boston. Their role players stepped up. Grant Williams was seven threes. Their guys at home stepped up and knocked down shots. That the, the the Bucks gave look. The Bucks give up threes. That's part of their mantra. They'll give up threes to the guys they don't they don't think can knock them down, and, and they did. They didn't. The effort was there. Giannis still shed what twenty five and twenty, and it's an off game for him when he has twenty five and twenty. But I mean, Phoenix. I mean, Booker and Paul are all of eleven in the first half. Twenty seven points in the first half. That was just a a mind bendingly bad effort from start to finish. Like every part of what they wanted to do went wrong. You're right. Uh, absolutely. And, and and again, a lot of questions to try to answer in the offseason for Phoenix because they were so good during the regular season. We said that arguably this could be one of the greatest Suns teams ever. That were just the way they played and looked so good. So it doesn't settle. Uh, it doesn't seem right uh, that, that this team ultimately uh, you know, wasn't able to get all the way to the Western Conference Finals. No, it doesn't. And it does leave them with a weird offseason where, on one hand, you don't want to overreact to a perfect storm of a bad game but i think it also asks questions that they weren't able to answer in terms of you know with chris paul's 37 he's not he's not going to be able to play at an all nba level that much longer who's backing him up who's you know quick campaign wasn't there and then there's the big deandre ayton question that they have to answer this summer like how much are they going to pay him how important is he to what they do yeah, you wrote about that up uh, at, at NBCSports.com slash NBA uh, yesterday, and you talked about how the Suns did not offer Aiton the max before the season started, and now, you know, could he be offered a, a max deal by another team and put the Suns in that spot where they, they've got a match? Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. It also kind of depends on who comes in and has cap space because Detroit can go after him and, and maybe think that he pairs well with, look, Cade Cunningham's a really nice young player. Is that the pick-and-roll partner you know you want the inside to the outside? Um, Orlando's been mentioned. Um, but there's other teams like Charlotte. Look, Charlotte needs a center, but I don't know if you want to go with a good, and, and I think he's a good, not great, traditional center in, in DeAndre Ayton. 
if you're going to bring in Mike D'Antoni to coach, then that's not your guy, right? Like, yeah. like you, you're not going to bring in a traditional center. So I think that some of these teams have to figure out who they are and what they want to be. But it's going to put the Suns in a position. Are they going to match? Are they going to try to work out a sign-and-trade? What are they going to do? I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they want to keep him long-term. We're talking hoops with uh, Kurt Heelan uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Um, let's talk uh, now about some of these uh, th- these finals uh, in terms of the Western Conference Finals first and, and Dallas and, and Golden State. We saw what Luka was able to do in this series, especially uh, when the series was on the line and, and how he helped carry that Dallas team. Um, as loaded as Phoenix uh, really was, you look at the Warriors – I think this is a team that is built for the playoffs. They have all the vets. They know what they need to do. It's almost as if they've been waiting for an opportunity to get themselves back to the NBA Finals. That being said, with Dallas getting by Phoenix in seven, could you see a scenario where the Mavs are able to parlay that success into another impressive series against the Warriors? Absolutely. I actually think this is closer to a coin flip of a series than than – than people realize because the instinct is to think warriors and think, you know, 2015, even though these, these, even the pre Durant warriors, they're not, they're not that team. They were really sloppy last year. They beat Memphis, but it wasn't this super impressive outing. I'm very curious to see if they, the theory of the warriors, the peak warriors, the, the team that played the fourth quarter of game six, that team could win a title. But they haven't been that team consistently for a lot of the season. And, and I guess that's the question. Can they bring that for seven games against a team that will – look, it's going to be hard to play Jordan Poole in this series because Luka Doncic hunts mismatches and Poole's, Poole's going to be the guy with the target on him. Um, it's going to be a really tight series. I think the Warriors can, but they can't – you saw it, and they got up 3-1 on the on, – the Grizzlies, and then they started to play with their food for a while, right? Like, just messing. They can't do that this series. You mess around and give Luke a, a chance, and, and he'll make you pay. I, I'm with you on that one. Um, and on the flip side, you know, Celtics Heat. Uh, again, uh, Boston has been a team that just you know first first year head coach but they they've been pushing all the right buttons they were able to get by Giannis so people some people think that the Celtics now are a team of destiny and ultimately going to find themselves back in the championship despite what Miami's done and uh the kind of value that a player like let's just say Kyle Lowry has really had for Miami this season they need Lowry in this series and and he's out uh for game 1 and they're not quite sure when he's going to be back, but they absolutely need him in this series. Uh, this is a pretty, another pretty evenly matched series in some ways, but I think Boston was tested against the Bucks and, and blowing out the, you know, the Nets were clearly not a very deep team, but they still had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I'm not sure that I've, Miami hasn't had to reach that level yet, and so I'm, 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 I have the Celtics in six. I think that their depth create some problems but if you get bubble jimmy butler like jimmy butler has to be fantastic in this series um if you get that guy they're they're just so deep they can beat you a lot of different ways they're going to need a big series out of tyler hero and stuff but i think i think this is a really fascinating series i will say this too the first and fourth best defensive team in the regular season second and third in the playoffs like these are elite defensive teams this is a bet the under series. Yeah. <laughs> it is, is going to be 1990s physical, low-scoring basketball. It also sounds like it's going to be your classic Eastern Conference type of a playoff series because yeah, you're right. Exactly. I mean, East is known for that and, and not the West. And uh, these two teams are both the kind of guys that are the players that are, are going to grind and, and give you everything that they've got. By the way, we talked about this on the air uh, last week, Kurt. Uh, do you think Eric Spolstra is one of the more underrated head coaches in the NBA? Because when you talk about the best coaches year after year, a lot of the times Spolstra doesn't get into the conversation the way maybe he should, considering what you know what he's done over the last uh, ten plus years in Miami. He absolutely should. Um, it, if you talk to people in front offices around the league, he is probably considered the best coach in the NBA right now, or at least in 
maybe somebody else that that Popovich guy is pretty good, obviously. And there's some other, um, you know, there's some other guys you might want to put on that list, but he in basketball circles, he is listed there. I think for casual fans sometimes, or fans who don't follow basketball as closely even, but are fans, you can get lost in the, well, he just had to roll the ball out for LeBron James and, and Dwayne Wade. And then what have they done since? Except that, while they haven't won anything, he has gotten the max out of what he's been given year after year. He's become such an elite X's and O's coach. Meanwhile, we've got the NBA draft lottery, which is always a fun little subplot when you start to see some of the teams that are, are going to be you know, contending for that, that top overall spot. And I saw the joke, I think it was Adam Schefter who put out the tweet today that uh, since the Knicks got Patrick Ewing in the first ever draft lottery in 85, that their luck, especially over like the last 17 years, has just been beyond brutal. Like, not only do they never move up, but they move down based on their current yeah. spots. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the lottery. And, and obviously, Nick fans would love a miracle, but I think at this point, they'd love to just stay Day at 11, which is where they're projected. Yeah, exactly. I don't, 11 jumping all the way to the top, not impossible, but, but a little less likely. That said, yeah, look, they need, they need more with that roster. They, they kind of showed last year, RJ Barrett's turned into a player. Um, Julius Randle took a step back, but I, I don't think he's as bad as he was last year or as good as he was two years ago. He's just somewhere in the middle there. Um, but they need more. They need to jump up. And there's other teams that are, Fates are really tied to this year. Maybe sometimes, I mean, there's always rebuilding teams, but if you're the Portland Trailblazers trying to rebuild on the fly around Damian Lillard, this this matters a lot because the difference between being top three and being six, seven, eight, whatever, is pretty big in terms of not only who you could theoretically draft, but who you could trade that pick for to build right now, you know, build somebody who could win around because Damian Lillard's. I haven't we'll, yet. We'll be yeah. generous, and we'll, we'll be generous and say Damian Lillard's at his peak, but the, it, 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 it might be on the wrong side of that. I hear you on that one, and I haven't really. We haven't gone deep into the draft yet, but when you just look at on the surface who's going to be coming available into the draft, I mean, how many players do you think are franchise altering uh, ball players? Talent that that is so elite that ultimately we look back the next three to five years and say, man, what a draft. Or is this going to be one of those uh, where there's just it's a crapshoot and you really don't know how many of these lottery picks have the opportunity to become superstars? It's become so much harder to make that prediction. I mean, when you look at who's out there, look, the, the, the guy, the two-time MVP was picked 41st, right? Like, but even Jason Tatum is third, Luka Doncic is third, and we can debate whether he should have been. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily just getting that number one pick, and it's obvious anymore you know even a couple of years ago would you rather have john morant or zion williamson right now like it's it's yeah there's a little of that but also this year's a there's some really good look i but sarah out of uh, duke and and smith out of out of auburn are going to be good the question mark one the one everybody's interested in is chet holmgren out of gonzaga because Look, the term unicorn gets thrown around a little loosely in the NBA today. He truly is. Like, there's not players like him. There's not, he's not part of an archetype. And he's either going to be fantastic. Look, he's got an insane ceiling, but the floor is lower, too. And we'll see who gets that pick, and then do they have the stomach to take that risk? Follow Kurt on Twitter at Basketball Talk. That's at Basketball Talk on Twitter. And you can also check out Kurt and the whole team out at NBCSports.com slash NBA. Really enjoyed the conversation, Kurt. Thanks so much. And uh, let's hope we get uh, some great uh, matchups here in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. I hope so. I'm just, I just want some good basketball. We all do. That's right. From Kurt Heelan over to Charlie One. He's got a traffic update. Then right back with plenty more coming up here on 600 CSPN El Paso. 22 past the hour as we continue. Jim Ward, uh, as we welcome you back to the show. Got to get Jim on a little bit and get his thoughts on the new UTEP basketball roster. Yeah, we do. He's a UTEP diehard. He is a UTEP diehard. Season ticket holder. Him and his Super wife. fan. You know, it's funny because it was his wife who grew up loving UTEP and kind of hooked him in, and now he's hooked on UTEP. 
He knows everything about this team. I mean, I'll just get a random DM from Jim Ward often about UTEP basketball. Like, hey, where's Jamal Biennemi in the lineup? And I'm like, man, I'm not even at the stadium yet. And he's already, he already knows that Jamal Biennemi's in street clothes, not playing tonight. I believe it. Speaking of Jamal Biennemi, you've got a story up about some of the NBA uh, offers that he's getting right now. Yeah, it's a real interesting because I think a lot of people, uh, they were very skeptical when it came to former UTEP point guard Jamal Biennemi uh, choosing to go the pro route versus staying in college basketball. Uh, actually, we're hearing that the Kings, the Spurs, the Raptors, the Mavericks, and even the Rockets have shown some interest in the pre-draft process uh, it doesn't mean that he's going to be taken when it comes to the NBA draft but it gives a, a great opportunity for JB to show what he could do in front of these NBA scouts and uh, their coaches and stuff like that maybe he can earn his way onto a, a summer league roster I think most people that's we kind of think that for uh, for JB summer league and G League makes the most sense I don't expect him to get drafted heck we didn't think uh, Bryson Williams is going to get drafted and he was one of the best players in college basketball last season yeah so crazy to see like Kenneth Lofton Jr. You're starting to see him pop up on some of these workout lists. But for Bryson Williams, I haven't seen much buzz about him in the pre-draft process, unfortunately. Uh, and and for Bryson Williams, maybe it's not the G League, maybe it's not um, you know playing in summer league or anything like that. Maybe he decides to go overseas and then cashes out in a big way, makes good money playing overseas, and see then find, finds a career that way. Could see that too. Um, at Mix My Sons on Twitter, that was not a movie review, Adrian. That's a spoiler. He dies at the end. Listen, hey, this is to anybody out there. If you've never watched Bang the Drums Slowly and you're upset that you're getting a spoiler alert on a 1973 movie, shame on you. It's not like he's going out and giving us the review on the air right now of the new Doctor Strange movie, which is still showing in theaters and telling us how it ends. He's simply recapping a 50-year-old movie that you should have seen anyway. And Adrian saw for the first time, so of course he's going to tell you how the movie ends at Bang the Drums Slowly. And if you haven't seen it, you know what? You should go watch it, even if you know how it ends. It's like, we all know how Brian's song ends. Doesn't seem anybody upset about that spoiler alert. We all know how The Sopranos ends. We all know how, uh, you know, the Batman series and the, the Star Wars series ends. We know how these things. Hey, the movie reviews, they all include spoilers. It's not just this one. Every single one. I, I recap. I try to recap true. the whole movie. So they all include spoilers. In fact, turn your radio down for three minutes and then you can put it back up again and uh, you'll be done with the, with this uh, the movie review. Classic movie reviews and uh, not any modern movies. So, yeah, no worries if you're trying to watch a new movie out there. I just thought that was hilarious. Me too. I thought that was so funny. You know, spoiler alert. Come on, it's a it's a it's from 1973. What's wrong with you people? All right, 25. And if you haven't seen it, then you know what? Don't complain. You've had enough chances. Bang the drum slowly is considered one of the classic uh sports movies of all time. Yeah, and even midway into the movie, you kind of know that the the Bruce is going to die. Like he even says it flat out. Like he knows he's going to die. He burns all his baseball memorabilia. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Like I mean, Pride of the Yankees about Lou Gehrig. Guess what? Spoiler alert. He dies at the end, just like he did in real life. Yet you'll still watch that movie to see Gary Cooper and then the uh, the the uh, portrayal of Babe Ruth by none other than the Babe himself makes a cameo and plays himself in that movie. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. The, these these things right here, as far as like the spoilers and stuff like that, we're doing this for fun, yes. and uh, we're doing this to to show everybody that I'm actually watching these movies. So doing I got I got to recap them. How many movies have you watched? That's so That's a far? great question. I got, I got let me check the list. I bet you're at this. least right now at least twenty five to thirty in because we've been doing this for uh, it has to be a minimum of six weeks, if not seven or eight. You might be more than that, but I would think at least 25 to 30 in if not more just based on how the longevity yeah, of these great guess 26 movies there you go 26 in wow all right i feel it feels like more it does i'll be honest with you steve it feels like more i mean but you know what the good news is you love watching movies yeah that's true that's true and maybe i and i've added more to this list so this list that was 70 is now like 85 or 90 something good. like that so it's growing yeah, it, it is growing so yes I like that. And you know what else I like? I like the fact that we don't discuss what movies you're watching the night before. You don't yeah. You don't say anything until you come on the air, which is kind of fun, too. Mostly because I, I kind of sift through some of these movies, and I'm trying to see like where I can watch them on a streaming device. 
That helps, too. It really does. 27 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 505-6009, our telephone number if you want to weigh in. How about tonight's game, folks? Boston-Miami, who do you like? And will the Houston Rockets win the draft lottery tonight? That's another question. Oh, man. Now, it's so interesting, Steve, because uh, people, want, like we talked with Kurt Heelan about, he talked about the unicorns in the in the NBA draft lottery and stuff like that. Chet Holmgren, so much uh, controversy when it comes to Chet and uh, the Gonzaga player coming out as the number one uh, p- prospect or stuff like that. I'd still start uh, side with Jabari Smith from Auburn. I think you might get a little bit better upside there. Or maybe you look at Paolo Banchero uh, from Duke. Those two guys... That that might be my picks as one and two, and then maybe take a chance on Chet. Go with the proven commodities. What you're telling me? Yeah, it's tough to bank on the upside with guys like Chet. Who you know, we saw it. We saw it right in front of our eyes in the in the Final Four when it came down to the biggest moments of the Final Four. Yep. He kind of he, he shied away from from all the uh, the biggest moments out there, and he didn't want to be in the in the limelight when it came to all the big shots and stuff like that. No, you're right about that. That is uh, that's that's a good point. By the way. I hate the word the unicorn. You want to know why? Yeah. That was the nickname that Phil Jackson gave Kristaps Porzingis. Oh, man. That's funny. Do you remember? Yes, I do remember He called this. him the unicorn. <laughs> oh, man. Kristaps Porzingis. He kind of swayed the NBA Finals, didn't he, with this uh, this trade from the Mavs? It's kind of funny how this ended up happening. But, yeah, he was known as that unicorn player. He it's was. so weird. And, by the way, uh, that exactly – that you know, everybody ripped the Knicks for that trade. At the time, and uh, Porzingis hasn't exactly been A, healthy, and B, the dominant all-star superstar that everybody expected at that trade. Yeah, he's been uh, completely opposite that. He's been it was kind of a lose lose trade. I, I think both sides kind of lost in that case. Um, I, I felt like you know in the short term maybe Dallas got a little bit of excitement out of Kristaps, mm-hmm. but uh, Luca and Kristaps could never coexist on the floor. I Great think that's point. why the Mavs are, are having a lot of success right now. I'm with you. Twenty nine pass bottom of the hour. Let's head to Adrian and get a Sports Center update. And then we'll come back with plenty more on six hundred ESPN El Paso. Thank you very much. 505-6009, our telephone number as we continue here on Sports Talk. Once again, would love to get your thoughts on everything else that we're talking about, including uh, you know the uh, NBA playoffs. Ah, and El Paso Visuals is taking credit for something. He is patting himself on the back, saying, I called it on Jamal Biennemi being a good NBA prospect back in January. I should be an NBA scout says El Paso Visuals. Oh, man, I love it. Good job, Ivan. Pat yourself on the back for that one. Yeah, he, he is did. already. He even, uh, he even quote tweeted that old tweet, and he sent us the receipt. So we know it. He called it way back in January. Good point. Oscar at Oscar Jr. 915 tweets the program. Spoiler alert, the 1966 Texas Western men's team wins the national championship. That's right. If you're watching Glory Road, I got news for you. They win. They beat Kentucky. They do. <laughs> Oh, man. To anybody, to the one or two people in El Paso who haven't seen Glory Road. Sorry, spoiler alert right there. How can you live in El Paso and not have seen uh, Glory Road? Yeah, How I think that that's, happen? that's like uh, the entryway to come into town. You have to you have to watch Glory Road before stepping foot in the 915. And by the way, as we all know, there were a ton of creative liberties taken in that movie that were not um, as things went down in real life. It wasn't like Don Haskins arrived and, and the following year built a team to win the national championship, all right? He had a couple of really good teams before that, including the 64 team with Jim Bad News Barnes, never mentioned in the, uh, in the movie. It was like he arrived, built the team, won the national championship the next day. Hooray for um, you know, Texas Western. It didn't work like that. He had he did have success nearly uh, nearly immediately, but it wasn't like he just built a team overnight. It took five years. Yeah, with Jim Bad News Barnes, I mean that's where a conversation could really start with Don Haskins and and Glory Road. I mean it really should have started with him being the number one draft pick. Like that's that's incredible. How many schools out there can say that they have uh, a number one draft pick? That's true. Not many, not many. But remember, first off. And, and there's not – I'll say this too, okay? When was the last time you heard of a player committing to UTEP because he lost a free throw contest against his coach? When was the last time that yeah. happened? When a coach came in to recruit and essentially challenged the player to a free throw shooting contest 
And if the player won, the coach would never bother him again. If the player lost, then he had to commit uh, to uh, El Paso. Uh, that Those were the stories of legend from the Bear back in the early to mid-60s. And he had to do it because uh, Jim Bad News Barnes was from Oklahoma. So he had, you know, this, it kind of felt like he had to do something like this. And if I'm, if I remember right from Ray Sanchez's book, um, and, and, you know, Don Haskins helped write it, of course, too, because he, he was, you know, it was his whole life. Uh, if I remember right, he made like all the shots, all the free throws when, when he was going up against uh, Jim Bad News he Barnes. He did. He never missed. Yeah. And like never missed. And it kind of like baffled uh, Bad News Barnes. Like he, he couldn't even believe it. That's a way to uh, win a player over, though. Play him in a free throw shooting contest and then just destroy him and, and essentially make sure that he's coming here. Let's find the next five-star prospect and send Earl Boykins out there. That would be fun. One-on-one versus Earl Boykins. I like that. That's the way UTEP should recruit players. Go and get the best talent you can find and say, listen, if our assistant coach beats you in a one-on-one game or even a game of horse, then you got uh, then, then you got to sign. Otherwise, we'll leave you alone. You can dress up Earl Boykins in a different way, like you know, give him a fake mustache, give him a wig or something like that. Give him something, you know, give him He's a headband. Five foot five. Don't you think that a lot of these guys that are like big time prospects that have a foot on him would look at a guy like that and say, "Oh, this is this is a joke. Why? Are you, what are you guys doing here? Why are you sending this guy to try to play me in basketball?" Sure, that could be that could be the case. Although the guys who do play two K, you got to worry about those guys That's and anybody true. who who plays video games because maybe they played as Earl Boykins in the past. Good point. Good point. Maybe that's how UTEP should recruit. A 2K battle against a prospect. And if you come into their living room and you beat them in 2K, then they got to come and sign. I think we've got all angles covered right here. UTEP should be uh, they, they shouldn't strike out on any recruit after this. Never. Never. They should just hit gold every single time. There's so many ways to win athletes, right? The old school way, shooting free throws. The new school way, playing 2K. I mean, come on. If, if our manager team beats your the other rival school's manager team, then we get you. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I don't know how many good high school manager teams we have uh, in, in around the world of basketball. What about like if it's like a top five list for a prospect and those uh, the managers, the UTEP managers, go off and try to beat those other four teams? No, that's interesting. I like that. As long as the UTEP managers don't have to get into a voting contest like they did against Alabama, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I can't can't compete against those guys. No, you can't. You absolutely can't. Uh, Tim Haggerty, by the way, is standing by from uh, Bricktown, Oklahoma City. We'll get him on in just a little bit. More from Oscar at Oscar uh, Junior Nine One Five. Don being a gas station attendant had to be true. No, he was never a gas. I mean, that that was the greatest cameo in the history of cinema uh, cinematography. There's no doubt about that. But you know, I mean, he was. They, they, they wanted to get him in the movie. Now, that was the best scene in the movie because he had, like, three words and stole the, stole the whole uh, scene. Um, that's exactly the way it was. So I thought that was great. And if I'm not mistaken, when he, when he barked at Josh Lucas and, he was, and, and Lucas was on the phone at the time, did he turn around and kind of smile while he was on the phone after yeah, that? He kind of like broke the fourth wall. Yes, he did. I thought so. I do remember that completely. And, and yeah, uh, Coach Haskins was a natural as a gas station attendant, as you might imagine. He'd be a natural in anything, but that was just, that was perfect. All right, 38 uh, now past the hour. Hags will be coming up, and we'll get our uh, opportunity to visit with the uh, radio voice of the El Paso. 